Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey there, BTM listeners. It's Michaela. This week, instead of Behind the Money, I have an episode of TED Talks Daily to share with you. Every weekday, TED Talks Daily goes beyond the headlines and explores a new idea that's shaping the future in 20 minutes or less. In this episode, political scientist Ian Bremmer gives a talk about the unexpected factors changing our world and what that means. If you like what you hear, you can find TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. What if the new global order isn't dominated by a country at all, but instead a force far more powerful and unwieldy? Ian Bremmer is a political scientist who forecasts global risks. In his talk from TED 2023, he lays out a framework for thinking about our future in an increasingly uncertain world. After the talk, Ian sits down with me to dive deeper. All coming up after a short break. I have a big question, which is who runs the world? It used to be an easy question to answer. If you're over 45, like me, you grew up in a world that was dominated by two giants. The United States called the shots on one side of the wall, the Soviets set the rules on the other, and that was a bipolar world. It's very simple. If you're under 45, you grew up when the Soviet Union had already collapsed. And that left the United States as the sole superpower, dominating global institutions and also exerting raw power. And that was a unipolar world. And then about 15 years ago, things got a little more complicated. The United States increasingly didn't want to be the world's policeman or the architect of global trade or even the cheerleader for global values. Other countries were becoming more powerful and they could increasingly ignore many of the rules they didn't like, sometimes even setting new rules themselves. What happened? Three things. Number one, Russia was not integrated into Western institutions. A former great power, now in very serious decline, and they are angry about it. We can argue about whose fault that is, but we are where we are. Number two, China was integrated into U.S.-led institutions on the presumption that as they got wealthier and more powerful, they would become Americans. <laughs> Turns out, they're still Chinese. 
And the United States is not particularly comfortable with that. Number three, tens of millions of citizens in the United States and other wealthy democracies felt left behind by globalization. This has been ignored for decades, but as a consequence, they felt that their governments and their leaders were more illegitimate. Now, if you look at all the headlines in the world today driving all of this geopolitical tension and conflict, over 90% of them are because of these three reasons. And that's why today we live in a leaderless world. But as we know, that's not going to be with us for long. So what comes next? What kind of a world order might we expect over the next 10 years? Some of what I might say, I think, will surprise you. Because we're not going to have a bipolar or a unipolar or even a multipolar world if we don't have one or two superpowers, we don't have a single global order. No, instead, we will have three different orders, a little overlapping, and the third will have immense importance for how we live, what we think, what we want, and what we're prepared to do to get it. But first things first. Today, we have a global security order. The United States and its allies are the most powerful players on it. The U.S. is the only country in the world that can send its soldiers and its sailors and its military equipment to every corner of that world. No one else close. China is growing in its military capabilities in Asia, though nowhere else. Lots of American allies in Asia are concerned about that, and as a consequence, they're becoming more dependent on the United States for a security umbrella. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, U.S. allies in Europe are becoming more concerned and dependent on the United States and a U.S.-led NATO. The Russian military, of course, has been a greater global concern, much less so today, especially as they've lost over 200,000 troops and all of that equipment, and with sanctions making it extremely hard for them to rebuild. Now, Russia and China and others have nuclear weapons, but thank God it is still suicide to use them. And as a consequence, our security order is a unipolar order, and it is likely to remain so for the next decade. Now, at the same time that there's a security order, there's also a global economic order. And here, power is shared. The United States is still a very robust global economy. But the U.S. can't use its dominant position militarily to tell other countries what to do economically. The United States and China are enormously economically interdependent, and so they can't control each other. You may be surprised to hear this, but today, U.S.-China trade relations are actually at their highest level in history. Now, 
other countries in the world, a lot of them want access to U.S. military muscle, but they also want access to the Chinese market, soon, by 2030, likely to be the largest in the world. And you can't very well have a Cold War if the U.S. and the Chinese are the only two that are prepared to fight it. So the European Union has the largest common market, and they set the rules, and if you want to do profitable business there, you listen to those rules. India is playing a greater role economically on the global stage. Japan still matters, too. And over the next 10 years, there will be a rise and fall of the relative capacities of these economies. But the global economic order is and will remain a multipolar order. Now, between these two orders are tensions, because the United States will use its power in national security to try to bring more of the world's economies towards it. And we already see this starting to happen in semiconductors and in critical minerals, and maybe soon in TikTok. The Chinese are trying to use their dominant commercial position to align more of the world diplomatically. And Japan and Europe and India and everyone else will do their damnedest to ensure that neither of these two orders dominate the other, and they will mostly succeed. Now, so far, I have spoken with you about the two world orders we already see, but there's a third that is coming soon that's even more important, and that is the digital order. And the digital order is not run by governments, but by technology companies. We all know how much military support NATO countries have provided Ukraine during the war. But it's technology companies that provided the tools allowing Ukraine to defend itself from Russian cyber attack. It's technology companies that gave the Ukrainian leaders the ability to speak with their generals and their soldiers on the front lines. If it wasn't for those technology companies, Ukraine would have been fully offline within weeks of the war, and I don't believe President Zelensky would still be there today. Technology companies determine whether Donald Trump is able, in real time and without filter, to speak with hundreds of millions of people as he runs again for the presidency. It's social media platforms and their ability to promote disinformation and conspiracy theory. Without them, we do not have riots in the Capitol on January 6th. We do not have trucker riots in Ottawa. We do not have a January 8th insurrection in Brazil. Technology companies increasingly determine our identities. When I was growing up, it's nature and nurture. I mean, my deep and abiding emotional problems either come from how I was raised <laughs> or some genetic failure. Could be both. But today, 
Our identities are determined by nature and nurture and algorithm. If, if you want to challenge the system, you can't just question authority, as we were all told when we were growing up. Today, you have to question the algorithm. And that is a staggering amount of power in the hands of these technology companies. What are they going to do with that power? And that depends on who they want to be when they grow up. So if China and the United States work to exert much more power over the digital world, and technology companies in those countries align with those governments, we will end up in a technology cold war. And that means the digital order will be split in two. If, on the other hand, technology companies persist with global business models and we retain competition between the digital and physical worlds, we will have a new globalization, a digital global order. Or if the digital order becomes increasingly dominant, and governments erode in their capacity to govern, and we've already seen the beginning of this, technology companies will become the dominant actors on the global stage in every way, and we will have a techno-polar order. And that will determine whether we have a world of limitless opportunity or a world without freedom. There is no pause button on these explosive and disruptive technologies. I, I don't know if you know this, there are over 100 people in the world today with the knowledge and the technology to create a new smallpox virus. Honestly, I don't have answers, but I have a few questions for the people that do. Because these technology companies are not just Fortune 50, and 100 actors. These technology titans are not just men worth 50 or 100 billion dollars or more. They are increasingly the most powerful people on the planet with influence over our futures. And we need to know, are they going to act accountably as they release new and powerful artificial intelligence? What are they going to do with this unprecedented amount of data that they are collecting on us and our environment. And the one that I think should concern us all right now the most, will they persist with these advertising models driving so much revenues that are turning citizens into products and driving hate and misinformation and ripping apart our society? When I was a student back in 1989, and the wall fell, the United States was the principal exporter of democracy in the world. Not always successfully, often hypocritically, but number one nonetheless. Today, the United States has become the principal exporter of tools that destroy democracy. The technology leaders who create and control these tools 
Are they okay with that? Or are they going to do something about it? We need to know. Thank you. I'm Ian Bremmer, and my talk is about who runs the world. Who does run the world? It's a big question. You described in your talk that we went from a bipolar world to a unipolar world. What kind of world are we in now? Well, the point is, it used to be a really easy question. You didn't even have to ask it geopolitically because we had superpowers. But if you no longer have a world of superpowers, dominant countries that actually have global influence in the military and in the economy and every other sphere, then you no longer have a single global order. And that sounds really simple, but it's a very different way to think about the world because we today have a global security order a global economic order, and increasingly a global digital order. They exist simultaneously, and very different actors have control of those different orders. I'm really curious about one line in your talk in which you said that it's kind of impossible for the U.S. and China to be in a Cold War, even though there's a lot of conventional wisdom that the two countries are in one. Um, Why do you say that? Two reasons. Uh, First, because the extraordinary level of economic interdependence between the two countries. Even the now? two, Especially now. In fact, right now, as you and I are talking, the U.S. and China have the greatest level of trade between each other as they ever have in history. And so the idea that we could actually decouple each other, mm-hmm. the idea that failure of China would be better for the U.S. than success. Now, we can't afford for China not to succeed. Um, But at the same time, uh, every other country in the world understand that they do not want to have to choose between the U.S. and China. America's best friends militarily, like the Japanese, the South Koreans, also want more exposure to the Chinese market, which by 2030 will be the largest in the world. So when you put those two factors together... They're guardrails, essentially. They're they're, they're two very substantial guardrails that prevent us from having a Cold War, the two largest economies in the world. And frankly, that in some ways, that's the best news that comes out of my talk. Then you talk about the digital world order. Yeah, then it gets worse. Right. That's where it gets worse. (laughs) And I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit because... You describe algorithms, tech companies, 26-year-old billionaires that have a lot of power. And yet these algorithms and these systems do have corporate ownership that exists inside countries. So these are non-state actors that are part of states, though, right? So why do they get kind of separated out? Well, first, because the states don't have the willingness, the institutions, the knowledge, uh, the fastness of movement to effectively regulate or control them. Mm. Uh, And that's true even in China. So in the digital order, as opposed to in the physical world, as opposed to in the security and economic order, the digital order, the tech companies are actually the dominant actors, not the governments. Like it's the tech companies that decide whether or not Ukraine has cyber defense, right? I mean, you look at Starlink Mm -hmm. and the extraordinary work that Elon Musk did to get these frontline soldiers, the ability to actually communicate and therefore fight. And so it's up to one man's whims. It's literally up to one man and in some cases one company. But either way, it's not a government, right, that's making those decisions. And so I think people really underestimate Mm. the incredible power of tech companies in the digital world and the fact that very quickly a digital order is becoming at least as important 
as our global economic order and our security order. And we've never lived in a world where the order is dominated by anything other than governments. And governments are too slow to react, to regulate, to understand, to rein that in. I mean, like, what do we want? Global AI regulation. When do we want it? Six months ago. Uh, Like, it's too late. Here we're talking about a situation where by the time you get around to regulating the last GPT, like, these companies are already way beyond. So, no, I, I don't really think that the governments are going to dominate the space. Now, it's possible mm-hmm. that over the coming two, three, five years that the U.S. and China will see this as such a threat right. that they actually try to nationalize and mm-hmm. create champions in their countries. And if that were to truly occur, we would have a technology Cold War. Mm. But more likely is that the digital order moves faster and faster, explosive, disruptive technologies, and the decisions over the future of our world and our identity and if democracies work will actually be made by a small number of men worth 50, 100 billion dollars or more who actually create and control these tools. That sounds pessimistic. Um, Well, it depends on who these people are in part, right? At the same time, the United States has been a magnet for the most extraordinary entrepreneurs in the world, not just in the United States, but they come from everywhere on the planet to the U.S., from India, from South Africa, from all these places, and and they change the world with their technologies. And at the same time, this small group of men are also some of the least responsible for the society that they have so much influence over. We need our most powerful people to actually act as global citizens. We need them to be humane. We need them to take accountability. And I I don't see that happening. And I, for one, as a political scientist, I know the people that are worried about killer robots and AGI going to kill people. I'm a political scientist. I care about governance. And I put a very high value on the democracy that we're losing. I put a very high value in that, and I want that priced in. It is not priced in right now. All right. Ian Bremmer, president of Eurasia Group. Ian, thank you so much. My pleasure. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.